This is Jeffrey Grossenbach. It's the Ruby on Rails podcast. It's actually been one year since this show started. Scott Barron put out the first episode with David Hanemeyer Hansen. And since then, done about 20, over 20 interviews, episodes, on-site bootlegs of all Ruby Rails-related material. So hope to keep it going. Honestly, yesterday I was a little distracted, was caught up when Tim Bray and Sam Ruby descended on the red-handed blog and something going on with Why the Lucky Stiff's RSS feed not validating or something like that. It was crazy. Fortunately, they've reinstated his license to use XML products and he's on a probationary period. Hopefully he'll survive that. The Top Funky Tour of the World is continuing. I'm going to be in London, August 10th and 11th, teaching a two-day workshop this time for Carson Workshops. We'll go over the basics of Rails and get in-depth into test-driven development, writing your own plugins, the new stuff in the newer and upcoming versions of Rails, all that. So go to carsonworkshops.com for the details. Also, I'm going to be showing up a few days early for the London Ruby User Group, August 8th. You can go to lrug.org for the details. Hope to see you there if you are in London. Finally, going to be in Accra, Ghana, Africa, August 14th to the 25th, teaching a Rails workshop to professional developers and then straight up Ruby to high school students. So it's going to be very exciting. I'll uh, give some more details as we finalize all the arrangements with that. So hopefully next week I uh, want to post a special one-year episode of the podcast. Until then, I'm going to go make sure my RSS feeds validate properly. I think I have a center tag in there somewhere I've got to take out. So this is Jeffrey Grossenbach. It's the Ruby on Rails podcast. I'm here in Chicago for Rails Conference, but I thought I'd take the opportunity to talk to a local developer, Adrian Halavati. Did I say the right that time? Halavati. Yes. Halavati. Okay. We're in Chicago. Got to say it right. He's the lead developer for Django Web Framework, written in Python. A few months ago, there was a debate between Adrian and David Hanmeyer Hansen. It's called Snakes and Rubies. And quite popular, a lot of people attended, so I thought I'd give him another shot at uh, spreading the knowledge of Django and his perspective on developing a web framework. Sweet. So, <laughs> tell us, give us just a little short summary, what is Django and how did you come up with it? Uh, Django is uh, a way of making websites very, very quickly, which may sound familiar to you. Uh, it's... It started when I was working at a newspaper website in the middle of Kansas, and we needed to make websites very, very quickly. And uh, we, we'd been doing this in PHP for a while. PHP didn't really work out, as I'm sure people in the Ruby community kind of follow that same path. Uh, so we moved to Python, and we started building sites with Python, and just kept abstracting things to a higher level and abstracting the database and abstracting... Uh, a lot of the repetitive stuff we needed to do, and we came up with this framework that made it stupidly simple to to make a website. It's it's like MB, MVC, but we tend to call it MTV 
MTV. Which is model template uh, view. But so uh, in Rails, what we could call the controller, you call the view. Uh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Something like that. And uh, it, it uh, probably the crown jewel of it is this admin interface where you define your database and it automatically creates a admin interface that's really production ready. You don't have to do anything to it. It just gives you the basic CRUD operations. And our, our workflow with this tended to be create your database tables, boom, automatically you have an admin interface so that the journalists on staff can start populating it with content. And while you're doing that, you actually write the code. That's fascinating. So, so the, like, the, the flow of development is kind of built around that particular instance of a newspaper. But honestly, a lot of websites are done that way. People want to start entering content even before the thing is 100% done. A, a big part of the business at that particular web operation was doing commercial websites for clients. So uh, the, like the local chamber of commerce, commerce wanted us. I, that has nothing to do with journalism, but it still involves the fundamental entering of content and managing it. So with like the Chamber of Commerce site, we we talked to them about what sort of information they wanted on the site, like uh, upcoming events, rah-rah, uh, go Lawrence, Kansas sort of stuff. And once they told us, we just put together a database, they get an admin interface right away, like literally that day, 30 minutes later, and they start editing the content the content, which is cool because it gives us that initial level of content, you know, how, like with web development, you build something for a client and there's nothing in it, so it kind of looks, it's kind of funky, but having the people enter the content as you develop it is, is a lot cooler for the, the consistency of it. And the, the other cool thing about that is it just knocked their pants off that, oh wow, you already have this, wow, you're, you're like a, a nice web development shop, you've already yeah. given us that. So it's applicable to a lot of stuff, not just journalism, although it does come from a journalistic background. Well, over the last few days, while you were, I know you were probably innocently going about your daily business, not knowing that you were kind of at the center of a controversy in the Rails world, the oh, really? keynote on Friday morning to start the whole conference, Dave Thomas said, uh, listed a few th- ways he thought Rails should improve and different things that they needed and one of those, he described this system where your models would contain a lot more information about the actual data in them, and a nice interface could be easily generated from the data there, and, and mm-hmm. we could quickly automate the mindless tasks of putting admin interfaces together, and a lot of people walked out of that and said, wow, that sounds a lot like the Django in admin interface. Hmm. So that's uh, leaking over a little bit, and <laughs> people are... I know it, Snakes and Rubies, that was brought up, and... That was brought up, and David said that it was out of the scope of the framework, and he said a lot of other stuff was out of the scope. A lot of stuff that Django does is out of the scope of Rails, like internationalization and uh, RSS, like easy-to-use RSS frameworks and stuff like that. So I think he's still, um, it's not necessarily he's against it, but mm-hmm. but it's other people who have said, well, we, we need something like that, too. Yeah, that that uh, it, it's about time. I expected that at some point the Rails guys would get it, and my <laughs> our philosophy about that uh, sort of snarkily has been, well, by the time they get it, we'll be working on V two. <laughs> well, I had to notice. I I did try out Django a couple months ago. 
uh, or maybe even a year ago. I, I didn't uh, build a full site in it, but looking through it again today, I noticed that you mentioned that you're we think our template engine is the best thing since Chunky Bacon. Now, unless there's a parallel world somewhere, that uh, sounds like kind of a familiar phrase to us in the Ruby world. Oh, is it? I, I Jack, Jacob, or somebody else put that together. Jacob, the um, the other uh, Django developer, wrote that particular fact. Okay. Answer is that something that you guys say a lot and well we have a colorful character named why the lucky stiff and he wrote a ah, yes. influential tutorial on how to learn ruby and he was Man, that cartoons thing was annoying. And, did you read that i attempted to and <laughs> started sticking a pen in my eye because i was so annoyed i think a lot of people have i know a lot of people <laughs> who have read it but only like the first one or two chapters and they haven't dug right. any further into it so I can I assume that you haven't seen all of his animated cartoons where he makes fun of Python. I did see one thing. I think maybe it was from Azcon. Okay, where it, there was like a discussion between Python and Ruby people, and the Ruby people said indentation bad, and yeah. Python people said okay. So that bad. might that might ruin so. my whole strategy for this interview. So I'll have to keep it civil and <laughs> and friendly instead. <laughs> Going off of uh, the technical aspect for a moment, previous a lot, a lot of newspapers were scared of online content, and maybe even to an extent somewhat now, Craigslist is taking over our classifieds, and we're going to lose right. our source of income, and fewer people are subscribing to the daily newspaper, and you know what are we going to do? And yet, people like the Lawrence Journal and, and the Washington Post, and even recently the New York Times, is Django a part of kind of that change in the way newspapers are thinking about online content, or was it more a response to it that can av- and can help them move into the 21st century in the way that news needs to be communicated? Um, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that the stuff we did in Lawrence and the, the Django-powered stuff out there in the news industry is influencing newspaper websites. Uh, everything I've done at the Post uses Django, and there's the the scripts newspaper chain which is one of the biggest like they own dozens of papers and like the food network and all sorts of media holdings they move their entire development platform to django and we've got 15 script sites that are going to move to it um, in the next year so i've asked this before but it's surprising to me that it's taken so long you know the web has been generally popular for over 10 years and has exist for, existed for even longer than that, and yet it's taken this long for at least open source, publicly available web frameworks to be available, and several different ones have sprung up independently and then, of course, inspired other copycats. You know, Rails, Django, sprung up independently in a way to solve the whole web framework problem. Why do you think it took so long and why do you think there's such a popularity of using web frameworks now in order to be able to approach web development and solve these kinds of problems that's a good question Uh, i think that for a while there at least in many circles php was the well it's an evolutionary thing you know you start i'm all i know is my own path as a web developer so i can just speak to that Started with Perl, CGI. Okay, yeah, me too. That got really ugly, so I moved to PHP, which was, you know, very 
alluring at the beginning and very kind of sexy, but uh, got old and unmaintainable really fast. So then, you know, we moved to Python, and, or I moved to Python in my own personal path, and uh, at that point created these libraries that abstracted things and helped cut down on code duplication. So maybe a part of, to answer your question, maybe a part of why it's taken so long to for these frameworks to come about is that it's taken a while for people to exhaust all the available options that suck. <laughs> so they had to try all the other ones. and then Right, they had to try the other stuff. That doesn't work, okay, let's start from scratch and do that. Sure, and, and it's taken some time for Python and Ruby to kind of become mainstream, although they're still probably not. So one concern people have had with Rails is it's built as this very lightweight, uh, minimal framework, and yet it continues to grow and grow, and, and there's been kind of a reaction to try to even pull things out that are part of the core and, and make those just a, a plug-in instead of being a standard mm-hmm. part that, that ships with it. And a couple months ago, you've maybe started something similar, at least on a syntactical end, of the magic removal branch of Python or of, of Django, which is going to change a lot of the syntax or the way things work together. Why did you feel that was an important part of the direction of where Django needed to go? Okay, so the magic removal branch, which is already finished. Okay. Because it's going to be for like the 1.1 the, release in a little bit. Uh, it's it's going to be 0.95. Okay. Yep, and it's it hasn't actually been packaged as this is official release 0.95, but it's in subversion, so, and that's actually the recommended way that we say you should use Django because we're really good about not checking in broken code. Yeah. So uh, that thing was less about removing features and more about removing legacy cruft because it was extracted from this real-world project. It's got a lot of cruft. Like uh, back when we were the only ones using it at World Online, you put all your models in a hard-coded directory, Django.models. So when we were getting ready to open source it, we said, well, we're too lazy to to change that, so just uh, let's hack using some really magic Python hackery. Let's uh, let's just make it so that every model looks like it's in Django.models. So that, that was a, a, a mistake, and we uh, refactor that so that it, that's not the case. Uh, so it's it's less it's it's not removing features and putting them into plugins as much as just cleaning it up and cleaning up some some syntactical weirdness and uh, just adding a lot of little niceties and shortcuts and stuff. Have people objected to that because it's going to change the way their existing applications work, or do they welcome a step forward to a more coherent API? That's a good question. The The overwhelming response has been, oh, it's a little inconvenient for me to have to go through all my code and change it, but oh my god, this new code is so much better. <laughs> so yeah, nobody's really thrown any fits about it. Which has been cool. And we've had since day one a big disclaimer until 1.0, nothing's guaranteed backwards and compa- or backwards compatible. So, And we're going to make at least one uh, medium-sized backwards incompatible change. But this magic removal thing was a big thing, and nothing is, is going to be as big as this change was. Get a little more technical here. A couple of years ago, a uh, guy from... New York, Francis Wang came up with a uh, database ORM 
package called Lofcadio that when I look at it, it seems very similar to the ORM mapper in Python and one of the benefits that basically where you know Rails works where you already have a database and then your models would look at that and, and pull some attributes down whereas in Django you define it and then that actually generates the, the schema in the database right. based on the code that you start with. In Lafcadio he could use that to his advantage and with testing he could do a lot of a mocking out of functionality to make tests very fast and also to be able to develop a lot of the site before actually even firing up the database. Is that kind of thing possible with the ORM database layer in Django or was that even a, a goal in developing it that way? That wasn't a specific goal. It's a nice byproduct. Uh, you can if you have your app and say you're using Postgres and you've got you know your web application you can change your uh, it's entirely possible to change your settings to use like SQLite and just write some unit tests that use the same exact code, just uses SQLite, and you don't have to write, you know, your create table statements, which are slightly different for SQLite as opposed to Postgres. So that's a nice benefit is that uh, database agnosticism, <laughs> being the state of being agnostic. Uh, so that yeah, that's a side benefit, but it wasn't a, a particular goal of doing that. The goal was, well, well, the kind of the history is as it was extracted from a real world project. We at first coded by hand data access for every single model. So like, uh, there's a here's a blog entry. Here's a function that retrieves one. Here's a function that retrieves many. Here's a function that deletes it. Blah blah blah. And I was working on this with Simon Willison, and, and we started saying, oh, wow, that looks really familiar. That looks really familiar. Why are we writing the same exact code for everything? So we abstracted that into the model classes. So introspection was never really even in considered. Uh, looking back, I, I really, I, I, I'm glad, I'm so glad we did it this way because not having to write SQL code helps you stay in a single frame of mind. So you're writing Python code for your views and all that stuff. It's it's the same thing for writing database stuff. You don't have to switch mindsets and, okay, now I'm writing SQL code for my create table statements. It's just like, I'm always dealing with Python. Yeah, It's like what I've heard in the Rails community. Everything's Ruby. There's no XML, yeah. which is a lie, by the way, because there's uh, uh, YAML. For the config, right? You're right. In Python, but, it's, even the config is in, in and, yeah. In Django, in Django the configs in Python, so you can do a lot of cool stuff like importing from other configs and stuff like that. Uh, but yeah, that's probably the coolest benefit is that from a pure productivity standpoint, you're always dealing with Python. What about like database fixtures? We also use YAML for Upgrades. sample data. That's going to oh, sample be, data. The tests are going to be run against. Does that happen in a Python data format as well, or is that the separate? initial data? It's actually raw SQL. Okay. So if you want to, you can put an SQL file, you name it in a certain way, and it'll just if that file exists, it's just the whole thing. run. So yeah, it's not just initial data. You can create views or SQL functions if you're into that stuff. So we uh, very fortunate had a keynote by Paul Graham. 
famous proponent of Lisp and mm-hmm. uh, famous from his writing and essays and many other things and in among many other brilliant things he said that the man who comes up with a brilliant idea is not going to be the one to see the thing that usurps that idea and ends up being the the next big idea after that have you thought about that are you worried about that are you thinking about what's next in web development whether it's one year five years ten years from now or do you hope to evolve Django and address the new problems and possibilities for web development within Django the way I look at it is you know purely selfishly I want Django to be something that I can build cool stuff with. Yeah. It's not some academic exercise like, in theory, if you were building a website, what would you like? It's not some commercial enterprise where, oh, we've got to think of every single possible feature that people would want so they would pay money for it. It's actually like, what do I, Adrian, the web developer, want to do? What pisses me off about web development that I want to make easy? And what things do I want to do that should be facilitated by this software. If So in terms of the future of Django, it's like really what I want to do, what the other people in the communities want to do, um, and, and it'll kind of grow organically from that. That said, I mean, the kind of stuff that I like to do, I would argue, kind of pushes the envelope. I mean, I did like ChicagoCrime.org. Yeah, and, definitely. Like Grease Monkey-related stuff. And, and there are other people, I mean, like Simon, Jacob, all sorts of innovative people involved with Django that think independent. I mean, independently of a framework, they're smart enough to think of cool new ways of doing websites. You know, forget about Django and Python or Ruby. They just sure. want to build cool stuff on the Internet. There's a problem to be solved and how to do it. Right. So, so they'll adapt Django to, to do what they want to do. So maybe it's the academics who will be able to... F- Philosophize about the future, and yet it's the people in the trenches actually doing it, facing the problems, who are going to make the incremental improvements of how it really needs to be done. Yes, and that's something that I think that Rails and Django really have in common, is that we're really focused on actual results, because these have come out of real-world projects that have real web developers with real problems that need to be solved. Well, speaking of those... In closing, a couple of the big issues in the Ruby world right now are domain-specific languages, of which I think Ruby and Python are attempts at uh, addressing that kind of a problem. Of course, with Rails specifically, it's all about scaling, enterprise, can it handle it? (laughs) Then, of course, web services, very rich interfaces, and, of course, a lot of these are, are big issues for people in all, all kinds of languages. What are the big issues in in Django or in, in Python in general that people are tackling? The big topic at PyCon, I would argue, would be web frameworks in general and just getting people in Python interested in web frameworks. Uh, the big things that I think we need to face with Django is make everything absolutely Unicode aware. Right now, we treat every string as a dumb string that doesn't know it's encoding, and we kind of assume that the developer takes care of that. But uh, what I'd really like to do is have every every part of the stack in Django use be Unicode aware and have a, a contract like the view always returns a certain 
either a Unicode string or a string in a certain encoding. And the, the database always accepts Unicode or you know, accepts this, blah, blah, blah. Right now, as I said, it all works, but it would be just so much nicer if we used Unicode all over the place. And Python's Unicode stuff is fantastic, yeah. so we could really take advantage of that. The big issues at this point are marketing-related. Okay. Uh, we really haven't done any marketing. It's been word of mouth, and then you know we post on blogs and stuff, but we haven't even done a screencast. We haven't done... Uh, any sort of pushes. We've, we've been at some conferences, but only because we've been invited. So what I'm really excited about is doing some marketing stuff in the near future. Uh, we, we've And we've avoided that because we've had some backwards incompatible changes. This magic removal thing really goes uh, as a positive step. So now that we have that, I'm actually like comfortable saying that, oh, Django, you know, I would recommend that you use it kind of the litmus test that I've always thought about in my own head is that I, I never like announce like, I have a blog that I've had for a couple of years and I always announce like my little personal projects and hacks and stuff I've still never announced Django's release <laughs> uh, well, when it gets to 1.0 you will well it not necessarily 1.0 but when it uh, when I'm comfortable with telling people that it exists and like I've alluded to it in blog entries blah 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 it's stupid to assume that people don't know about it but I think that'll be like a moment where I I'm comfortable enough with saying it's this is Django you should try it out <laughs> and that's when the marketing is going to start a couple months ago, I talked to Avi Bryant, who built a web framework called Seaside in the Smalltalk language, and he felt that he didn't want to publicize it because he didn't want to have to go around to conferences and be promoting this. He wanted to be solving these problems and, and writing code and, and writing interesting applications. Is that part of why you've waited? Is the demands of, of being the author of a popular framework or... Are you waiting for it to get to a certain point? It's it's a little of that. Okay. That's a, that's, that's a really good example. Like I said, we're waiting on the marketing, but that's not because we don't want people to use it. It's more that for like mainstream or the masses or whatever, we're, we're waiting until we're comfortable with the final, or final being a relative word, but the, like the 1.0. For what the Seaside dude said, yeah, I totally understand that mentality is that the the main thing that I care about is a tool that helps me with my personal projects and like the other developers, you know, they want something that solves their problems. Honestly, if if Django never took off and nobody else used it, I would still be happy because all I care about is not all I care about, but but uh, I'm, but it did what you needed it to. It does what I needed to do, and for like my little Washington Post hacks and ChicagoCrime.org and other hacks that I'm going to work on that will be released in the near future that's like my main passion I mean the web framework you know Django it's it's a lot of fun to work on but it's it's an it's a means to an end the end is making cool web applications that help people Django is a means to that end well recently somebody in the Rails community his name's kind of hard to say but 
he was on the cover of Linux Journal, but I, I encourage you, you know, who who reads Linux Journal? Go for like GQ or Rolling Stone or one of those. So I was a little miffed by that because he doesn't even use Linux, to my knowledge. And I, <laughs> I mean, I've been using point. Linux on the desktop for years, uh, so I was a little. It seemed a little phony. Well, if Linux Journal wants to call, you're payable. <laughs> right next month. This has been the Ruby on Rails podcast. Transcripts courtesy of imapenguin.com. Closing music by Wide Lucky Stiff. Audio equipment by Samson Audio.